Pettit, and I'm a girl camper. I go places and I do things in my Liberty Outdoors lightweight towable trailers. Along the way, I meet many interesting people traveling the back roads, and I want to share their stories with you. We will talk about the qualities of what makes a girl camper and how you can be a girl camper too. The girl campers are having a party, and you're invited. Stay tuned while I share what's happening on the back roads of America the Beautiful. Welcome, I'm Janine Pettit, girl camping ambassador, blogger, adventurist, and podcaster. And this is a mini episode of the Girl Camper Podcast. This is our last week of our September sabbatical. Next week, we're going to be kicking off fall with a full episode and a really, really great giveaway from CampGo. It's something practical, yet kind of indulgent. So I'm going to let you think about what it might be for a week, and I'm going to tell you all about it next week. But I will give you a hint. It's big and it's red. (laughs) Most of you should know by now what that might be. Okay, so for today, though... I want to tell you about a few of the not-so-smart things I saw RVers doing while I was on my summer vacation. If you were following along, you know that I took my youngest daughter, Monique, with me to Colorado for a mother-daughter road trip. We had so much fun. It really would be hard to pick a favorite moment because there were just so many firsts for us. Just being with her 24-7 for 11 or 12 days in a row was a real treat. I feel like I wanted to do this because I traveled so much in April and she was taking her finals and we were on the phone a lot, but I think she really missed me and I know I really missed her and we kind of wanted to make up for that lost time of my travel and her school schedule. So that was so much fun. Getting up at 3 a.m. to see the Milky Way from an elevation of almost 11,000 feet is something I don't think either one of us is ever going to forget. There is literally zero light pollution on the Grand Mesa at 11,000 feet. It was absolutely stunning. I actually set a buzzer on my phone to buzz in my ear. I put it under my pillow at 3 a.m. and I, uh, it went off and I opened my eyes and I looked out the window of my beautiful Max trailer and there was the Milky Way right over me. Now, I had warned my daughter that I'm going to wake you up at 3 in the morning because I want you so much to see this. And I did, and we had her jacket and boots. You know, no 21-year-old wants to get up at 3 a.m. Frankly, they've just gone to bed. She was, you know, on her phone and texting and all of that. You can text up there even though you can't uh, talk to anybody. And anyway, we... We had our chairs all set up and we got outside and we flopped in those big butterfly chairs that I bring with me on every trip and it was absolutely spectacular. It was just so beautiful and it was like 40 degrees outside. We were snuggled up just looking at that absolutely beautiful view and that that's why we travel, you know. So I wanted those experiences with my daughter. I want those memories because she's 21 and I don't know how much longer I'm going to have her at home. And um, I miss all of my kids, but I think I'm going to miss her the most because um, I homeschooled her and we adopted her later in life and it was just a different experience. I had so much more one-on-one time with her than I had with my other kids and I'm, I'm going to miss her terribly. So I'm treasuring these moments with her right now. Now Monique is a good RVer. 
And when I say good, I mean she's very good at the actual doing of the RV. When I come home from a trip, this kid is out in the driveway and she's like, Mom, I got this. She and my husband, but she actually leads the way. She knows that she's got to chop those wheels. She gets those stabilizing jacks down. She gets that off the hitch. She moves the truck to the side of the driveway so I can unload the truck. And then she gets in that camper with a big plastic bag and she unloads that refrigerator and she hits all the surfaces with Lysol wipes and then she leaves it a jar. She she has a little thing that she puts actually Camco makes a little thing that keeps the refrigerator open. But the one thing Monique does not do, and that is tow. And I thought this would be a great experience for me to teach her how to tow. Now, the towing thing never actually happened because my daughter, consciously or unconsciously, that will remain a debate forever, forgot her driver's license. And I was not going to let her get behind the wheel of a car without a valid driver's license on her person. So we just never did that. But while we were driving, I was teaching her all about towing from a just process of learning through talk first. So I gave her all of Mark Polt's tips on towing, merging, scanning the lanes, anticipating what other drivers might do. So as we were driving along, I was showing her these things and I was saying, look, here comes a truck. I'm in the right lane. This is what I need to do now. And so I was teaching those lessons as we were driving. Some of the lessons, though, were actually taught by other drivers. And I started writing these things down because I said to Monique, you know what? This is something I should talk about on the podcast. And it was what other RVers do, dumb things other RVers did. And some of these lessons were just like, this is a what not to do moment. So I want to talk to you about some of the things, dumb things I saw other RVers do. I'm not letting myself off the hook either. There's a dumb thing that I did and there's a dumb thing I have in my head that I'm always afraid I'm going to do and I'm going to talk to you about that too. Okay, so the number one, it's really not the number one because they're in no order of dumbness. It's the first thing we saw happen. So we got into Denver and we stayed overnight at my niece's house and we got up the next morning, which was a Friday morning, and we were heading on 70 West out to the Grand Mesa. My in laws live north of there and so we were kind of going to merge onto 70 together and we were going to head out and we were sort of looking for Uncle Gary and Aunt Linda along the way. We never saw them. They were about a half an hour behind us. But if you've ever been to Denver and you've taken 70 West outside of Denver, that road is windy, twisty, curvy, congested, very little shoulder room. And on a Friday, even if you leave very in the early in the morning, it's absolute gridlock. So the first thing we saw, I was driving, Monique was a passenger, was this big class A motorhome. And even though it was a class A, it had one of those cargo carriers that is hitch mounted on the rear and it was loaded for bear. I mean, they had everything on that thing. Now, these carriers are really designed to carry something like a generator, or sometimes you see hunters carry one of those big fishing coolers on there, a big white cooler, something that wouldn't be able to fit into your cargo area. 
Now, obviously, you're not going to carry a generator with gasoline inside your motorhome or even inside your underneath garage. So that's what these things are designed for. But this particular RVer who was right in front of us, we were behind this guy. My daughter actually got out her phone and tried to take some pictures of this whole crazy setup. This guy had everything in the kitchen sink back there. He, I, he had big coolers back there. I think he had a generator. I, it was hard to tell what was on it because whatever was initially loaded onto that was then loaded with bicycles, pool noodles, and these big wooden blocks that you would use. A lot of RVers carry these. I frankly just carry the Camco stackable ones. I don't know why people need to carry these big wooden blocks. But I mean, they were six by six. These things were like railroad ties and cut into maybe 18 inch chunks. And they were laying on top of the cargo carrier. And then he had all these other things on top of it. And we could see as he bounced along that those six by six blocks were coming off the platform. They were not strapped down properly. So they were bouncing and then they bounced to the edge and then they were halfway off the edge. And that's when I said to my daughter, I've got to get in the right hand lane. This thing is going to fall off and I don't want to be the one that's going to run over it. But it was bumper to bumper. Somebody was going to run over this thing or swerve. It was just an accident waiting to happen. So I did get in the right hand lane and sure enough, the first one fell off and the guy behind kind of went over it. It fell into the middle of the lane. And so I don't know what happened, but this big chunk of wood then was laying in the middle of the lane. At some point, a little car is going to come up on that. I mean, my truck is wide. It has a wide wheelbase and it sits up high off the ground. So I would have been able to go over it if it had fallen right in the middle, but other people may not have been able to. So what happened with that, I don't know. About a mile down the lane, he lost the second one. So that whole thing was so dangerous. I want to talk about a couple things there. First of all, I think that was improper use of that equipment. That equipment is not meant to carry a bunch of crap on it. It is meant for something large and it was also improperly secured. So he had bungee cords strapped all over this thing. Here's the thing about bungee cords when you're securing anything to your car or your truck with a bungee cord. Bungee cords stretch. Okay, so I learned this one the hard way when I strapped down my kayak with a bungee cord. Doesn't work. A bungee cord is something, a force comes against it, it's going to give. And if the force is heavier than the bungee cord, it's going to break away. So he should have had that um, strapped down with ratchet straps, which have no give. So it was improperly secured. He could have also used a cargo netting, which would have contained anything that became loose. Those are a really heavy-duty woven netting, and you can put them over the top of your truck or if you have all this junk on the back and then really strap those things down. If anything became loose, it wouldn't fly off. So improper use of the equipment, improperly secured to the back of the trailer. And the last thing I want to comment about in this whole scenario was that, frankly, it was just too much stuff. I don't know if this guy was on the road for a week or a month, but when you have a Class A motorhome, there is so much storage underneath. There's garages. There are pass-through. Like, it, enormous amounts of space that you can stow, uh, store things in a Class A motorhome. 
If you fill up a Class A motorhome and you are strapping pool noodles and kids' tricycles and all this stuff to the back of a hitch-held cargo carrier, you are just carrying too much stuff. And I'm sorry, you just are. That's just too much stuff. And you might want to take some time and rethink the whole thing. Now, one of the things I started doing is stopped carrying my kayak and I stopped carrying my bicycle. A, I got my Scout Inflatable, which I like so much more than my kayak, so I can throw that in the back of my truck. With the bicycle, it was always a worry about, is it loose? Is it going to be stolen? I was just always thinking about it. It really wasn't that easy to get on and off, and I didn't ride it that often. So I have found that if I want to just rent a bike in the afternoon from the campground and spend one afternoon exploring by bike, that was so much easier to spend $30, rent that bike, do a little afternoon tour on a bike or a bike trail, a rail trail. That to me was so much easier than the drama of trying to keep that bike on the rack and worry about whether or not it's stolen. So when your stuff becomes a danger to other people, it might be time to re think your stuff and how much stuff you're bringing. Okay, the number two like near miss that we it wasn't even a near miss. It was this was an accident. So, we saw a group of people caravanning. This was about an hour down the road on 70 West on the same day. So, we were outside of Denver in the foothills and everything, but it was still kind of heavily congested. It takes quite a while to get out of the congestion part when you're leaving Denver. So we saw, again, the Class A motorhomes. It feels like I'm picking on Class A people. It just happened to be that anybody could have made this mistake. But we saw two of them pulled over on the side of the road. The first um, Class A that was pulled over on the shoulder was completely crunched in the um, back left corner. I mean, caved in, windows broken. It was hit very hard by the Class A behind it, who had a lot of damage to the right front corner. So whatever happened here, it was just too close. I mean, when you are staying right on top of someone and you're not leaving any breaking or emergency room, this is just bound to happen. A Class A weighs a lot. You need a lot of braking power to stop that thing quickly. And if you are not leaving room between you and the person in front of you, this is just an accident waiting to happen. I want to talk for a second about these caravanning tips. We did it in a, in a past show. But when you are caravanning, here are some things to keep in mind. It is not necessary when you're caravanning to be the vehicle right behind the lead vehicle. So someone is the leader and someone is the tail and there's everybody in between. You got to get over this idea that you must be in a row and some other car can't come between you. The whole idea of caravanning is that you are vacationing together. You're not driving together. You're vacationing together. It doesn't matter if a half a mile gets between you and the person. You're all going to arrive at the campground within an hour of each other. So the lead and the tail should be in touch, and they can do that via cell phone if they have a passenger or hands-free device in their car, Or they could do it by walkie-talkie. And there are walkie-talkies with a five-mile distance. So if you have six or seven people in a caravan, give yourself a five-mile cushion. You don't have to be right on top of each other. 
if someone is leading, the job of the tail of the caravan is to be the person who spots anyone in trouble. So if someone in their caravan has a flat or has engine trouble or a check engine light is coming on or needs to pull over, the tail person can pull over if there's time and space. If not, they can radio that person or call that person and say, hey, what's going on? Do you need any help? So there's safety in caravanning, but there is safety in caravanning wisely. So be careful when you're caravanning. Don't stay right on top of each other. Okay, the number three one was kind of funny, and this is just someone we saw. Fortunately, this was a pretty rural road. This is when we were coming out of uh, Rocky Mountain National Park, and the person in front of us weaving along the roads did not have the cap on their bumper and their sewer hose was coming out and it was getting longer. Every time they took a sharp turn to the right, a little more of that sewer hose came out. Um, Eventually the sewer hose came out and it, it rolled right into a gutter. So my husband and I didn't run over it, but it was quite funny actually seeing that thing coming out. But it was, you know, I think if we ran over the sewer hose, it wouldn't have been as terrible as if you ran over that big six by six block. But that's one of the things that really, when I looked on most people's checklists, making sure that cap is tight on your bumper wasn't big on that list. I I saw a lot of lists where that was not even there. So that one was kind of funny and could be avoided easily. Okay, now I want to tell you a dumb thing I did. I didn't do it on this trip, but I did it earlier, and it just bears repeating here. A lot of times when you're at a campground, you might park your um, trailer and lower the tongue jack and then say, you know what, I think I want to go back five feet. And you hitch the thing back up, and you do this thing where you only run the tail uh, tongue jack up maybe, I don't know, a third of the way because you're only pulling up or... um, backing up or pulling forward. You're just adjusting the trailer. So I did this at our home. Um, I had the thing parked in our on our property, and we had a little baseball field at our old house, and the kids were coming over to play baseball in the afternoon, and I thought, oh, there's going to be some strong kid, and he is going to hit something out into left field here, and my trailer's going to get hit. So let me just hitch it up and pull it forward. And I only rolled the tongue jack up, I don't know, six or eight inches because I was just going to pull it forward, but it struck a rock, uh, just a rock that was heaving up there and it bent it and I had to have the whole thing replaced. I couldn't move it up and I couldn't move it down. And when I've told this story to people, I have had a number of people say to me, oh, I did that too. I did that in a campground. So even if you're only moving your trailer a few feet, be sure that you roll that thing all the way up because it's not an expensive fix, but you know, it was a hundred dollars and and the thing is, I couldn't hitch it up. My, my husband had to buy it, and then we had to spend two hours with WD-40 trying to get the old one off. So it, it was not a super expensive fix, but it was an aggravating fix. So, okay, here's my fear. This is the thing I'm always afraid I'm going to do, and I've seen people do it. A lot of times when I'm coming home and I'm just going to stay overnight, I'm, I'm on a mission now, I'm getting home and I get myself in a campground just to sleep or I'm in a, um, like I just did this at the Ohio Turnpike. The Ohio Turnpike has um, on Route 80 some great rest stops for $20 a night. It has hookups, it has a sewer, it has electric. You can back into there 
and pay in a little meter, 20 bucks, and you have a nice little secure spot, and you have um, the whole rest area there, and they have really great um, rest stops at the Ohio Turnpike on eight, and the 80 section of it. So I pulled in there, and you, even though I wasn't unhooking, if you don't drop your stabilizing jacks, you're going to rock around in that thing like, uh, you know, on the water all night long. It's going to be like being on a cruise ship. Every time you roll over the whole camper goes all over the place. So I always pull in and then I drop my stabilizing jacks and I'm terrified that I'm going and I don't plug in. So the only thing I've done is drop the stabilizing jacks. So my camper is running on battery. I don't really need to plug in. So I am so afraid I'm going to pull out in the morning thinking all I did was back in here. So I finally, and this is where kids are so handy, when I was coming home with my daughter or driving out to um, Colorado with my daughter and we did this one night, I said, oh, Monique, my gosh, I'm so afraid. You have to remind me in the morning. I, I'm so afraid I'm going to pull out without raising those stabilizing jacks and I'm going to break them all off. And she said, mom, why don't you just put the jack on your front seat, the crank, and that way you won't be able to get in the car without sitting on it, and then you'll remind yourself. So that's my new system. Thank you, Monique. So anyway, those are my tips for this week on dumb things I saw RVers do and some ways in which you might not do those things. I'm going to be back next week, and I'm very excited about our first show and our big giveaway. That's our show, everybody. Happy trails. Have a good week. Mm -hmm.